Welcome to the Canine Classroom, a podcast for dog owners, professionals, and sports enthusiasts where we discuss training, behavior issues, sports, and everything in between. We're three friends and colleagues who share a passion for dogs, and although we have many similarities, we also have many differences in our training styles and the methods we practice. We're here to have open conversations, ask questions, get answers, as well as hear from colleagues and experts in the industry. So take a seat and get your notepad out because class is in session. Hey everyone, welcome to the Canine Classroom. I'm Anthony DeMarinas. I'm here with Vinny Viola and Stephanie Rayner. And today we have a special guest. His name is John Imler, and he's from Top Dog Training in Louisville, Kentucky. Hello. Hey, guys. How you doing? Super excited oh, to be hi, here. Guys. Yeah, excited to have you on. Excited to chat with you. And I think this will be a really cool and interesting conversation tonight. No pressure. You just said it. <laughs> he's just setting us setting us up to fail right from the beginning right? <laughs> wow wow okay here we go the canine classroom tanks after this guest <laughs> <laughs> so uh let's introduce john a little bit so i got your bio here so john is the owner of top dog training in lewisville kentucky where he focuses on pet dog training and behavior modification for reactivity and aggression he also helps industry professionals through the pet uh, through the pro dog trainer mindset, a coaching platform that focuses on helping the human end of the leash by delivering training programs backed by a team of over 20 psychologists and mental health professionals. After successful careers in uh, spanning in military law enforcement and Fortune 500 company, he in 2014. He fulfilled a dream to become a full-time professional dog trainer. That's awesome. Uh, in 2019, you're going to have to tell us about that a little bit before we actually chat. I just want to say that. But in uh, 2019, he took an active role in the industry, volunteering for the International Association of Canine Professionals and serving on the Legislative Committee. He was voted to the Board of Directors in 2021 and has served in a number of roles, currently serving as the Director of Oversight of the Education Committee. He's a graduate of the University of Louisville and lives in, how do you say that, LaGrange? LaGrange, yeah. LaGrange, ooh, I was right. Yeah, uh, you should not have doubted yourself one minute. <laughs> uh, so he lives in LaGrange, Kentucky with his wife, two daughters, and three dogs. Again, welcome. Guys, thank you so much. Super honored. So tell us, I want to know, I'm curious because I'm just a naturally curious son of a bitch, but tell us about, uh, tell us a little bit about like your background prior to dog training and then kind of what got you into it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like most of us growing up family dogs, um, that was the the first one and, and, you know, we did a horrible job with the family dogs we had. Right. (laughs) No. Um, and then I left, uh, went in the military, um, spent a couple of years away in the military. Um, when I came back, really didn't know what I was going to do. So I ended up going into law enforcement, but that's about the time I got my own dogs. Um, you know, I was a young guy living in an apartment and of course, you know, I go and, and get 
the wrong dogs, right? Of course, <laughs> you know. Um, and back then, you know, the really, this would have been mid nineties, around 94, 95. So um, really the only opportunity you had was either, you know, obedience class uh, or books. And I remember, you know, the first three books I had were uh, Karen Pryor's Don't Shoot the Dog, right? Um, the Monks and New Skeet, How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend and Keeler Manual. Um, and, you know, when the first time I, I, you know, had first dog I had just horrible, um, the one dog I adopted, he ended up, he bit my mom in the hand. Um, and then he, he, uh, bit my brother in the face, right? Not, not like a horrible bite, but it was like, you know, I should probably do something. So I went and, and got the books and I remember looking at these books going, you know, first, and I really didn't know anything about the authors. So I wasn't knowledgeable there, but I'm like, okay, this lady probably has a huge problem because she's saying, don't shoot the dog. Right. So she's like dealing with some serious stuff here. Um, and here's a bunch of monks and that's just really cool. Right. You know, so it was like I got those two and kind of between the two of them, I kind of half figured it out. Um, so that's when I went into law enforcement um, and I didn't work with dogs in law enforcement. I wasn't, you know, a canon officer. I got to work with them quite a bit, either providing, you know, um, security for them or, you know, one of the units I was in. We worked pretty closely with them as far as like detection and stuff like that. Uh, and then, um my wife works in the media, so her career kind of took us all over the place. Um, in law enforcement, if you move to a different department, you kind of have to start over. So anytime you move from one jurisdiction to another, you're starting over. We moved to South Carolina. Again, the whole time we have dogs, kids started showing up. Uh, we come to Louisville, and, uh, you know, Anthony, you mentioned Louisville. It's pronounced 8,000 different. There's actually a shirt that has like 15 pronunciations. I know I was going <laughs> to, that one I was going to, I was going to ask and I was like, that should be this. This should be right. It, it's Louisville, <laughs> Louisville, Louisville. So, um, but we came here and uh, instead of getting on the department here, I just went back to school and finished my degree. Um, I thought I was going to go federal and work federal law enforcement, but ended up getting hired onto a fortune 500 company, global logistics provider, and ended up working for them for the next, you know, 10, 12 years, roughly. Um, but that's when we got our next, fam we had a family dog, that dog passed away a couple of years go by. We don't have a dog. We get the next dog. And, you know, the saying is you don't get the dog you want, you get the dog you need. And God bless her. We were looking for a couch potato, right? We have two small kids, one in kindergarten and one about, I think she was in third grade. And, uh, and we just got a beast. I mean, she just got to love her. She's, you know, Pipple shepherd mix, just a, a, a monster. Uh, and, and it kind of got serious and I was like, okay, I really just got to make this part of my life. Right. And, and that became super fun. I mean, it was like, once it was like, okay, you just have to fit this dog in anywhere you can, you know, you, you know, you're, you're, you're a parent, you're your husband, and you know, now you're working the dog. Um, and it was pretty awesome. And I did that for a number of years, um, while working. And I would remember I was, you know, just listening to different you know, YouTube videos and taking courses on Learberg um, while I was working and, you know, me and a couple of coworkers would get together on the weekends and train dogs. And my youngest daughter, she was, uh, she would bring out the distractions. So it was like, she would just make a bunch of noise with whatever toy she had around. And it was great training around that. Um, and then we started thinking about just doing it full time. And I pitched it to my wife and she's like, you're insane. And <laughs> Um, we looked into it and, and really kind of gave it a really a good analysis. Um, and then I remember going into my boss and giving my two weeks 
And I mean, it was just like, Hey, I'm two weeks from now I'm, I'm opening up. Um, so I did that and, uh, I ended up, um, going to national canine, um, after that, because I wanted to just go and, and live in there and do like a, a full immersion kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, burn the, you know, the, if you ever heard the saying, burn the ships, it was just basically, uh, um, you know, you, you, there's no leaving, right? It's just, you're going to, your only way home, you're burning it, right? You're stuck here. You got to make it work. And, uh, Took the leap. yeah, exactly. And that was 2014. So, um, I've been super blessed and just, you know, made the right decisions and had the right people around me and have been given the right opportunities. Um, one of the big ones is where I work. I work inside of a vet's office. That's where my facility is. Oh, nice. So, um, you know, I started out thinking I wanted to do just basic and, and advanced obedience. And one of the things that ended up happening was I just ended up getting called up on behavior mod cases. Hey, go get John. And, uh, it really just, that became more of a passion. Nice. But yeah, that's, that's the story. I got to work in a couple of really cool offices, uh, working, um, in an international logistics and, and it was really fun, but you know, it took me about 42 years to figure out what I want to do and grow <laughs> up. And this is it. It's, it's so interesting. I like sometimes it, like how things kind of take you to a certain place and it, it wound up being your, your dogs over time that, took you to kind of where you are. And, and it's interesting. Cause like when I started, I thought I was just gonna be working with puppies and, and somehow it didn't end up that way, <laughs> you know? So I think it's always interesting. Like, I love hearing people's stories about like where they, how they end up where they do and what they enjoy doing with, with training because it's not just, Oh, I'm, I just train dogs. Like, you know, like everyone kind of gets into that space a little different. I mean, like Stephanie, like she started, I think you said, you've said like at 14, you started training and, and you've been doing agility, you know, that entire time, you know, so yeah. I just find it so interesting. So, I mean, I started when I was seven and I've just never stopped and it just continues to grow and grow. And I am grateful for it because the dogs have taught me so much and really opened up a whole world for me that I never saw for myself. So it's pretty cool what they can do for us. Do you find yourself getting burnt out at all, Stephanie, in different times since you've for been- sure, for sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's why this podcast has come. I think at the perfect time because I uh, I've talked with Anthony quite a bit about this. You know, I I do the same thing day in and day out, and it's also not just my my job, but it's my hobby. Um, and I, you know, Anthony, I hear him talk all the time about how he's got all these colleagues, and I'm like. I want friends to talk about dogs with like, but things other than just agility. So I really enjoy having conversations with the two of them because I can, you know, talk about things like behavior and just things that I don't talk about on a normal basis. So yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely helped uh, kind of reignite the fire a little bit for me. So, yeah. You know, I think we talked about the other day, but there's so many parallels between like this industry and like law enforcement, mm -hmm. because they tell you going into law enforcement, you know, have friends outside of law enforcement you know, make sure not all your friends are in. And it, you hear that, you know, going through the academy, you hear that, but the reality is you just end up talking <laughs> to you. I mean, because we all talk about dogs. I mean, it's why we do this and, uh, and it's tough. So, yeah. 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 It's made me think a few times. It's made me question whether or not I should continue being friends and talking to Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> this guy this guy come on you love me <laughs> well uh so i one of the things that 
like you and I, John, have talked about before, and I think it's a perfect fit for for this podcast because our our focus is not to focus on specific methods and have open and honest conversations with people regardless of of what they believe. And so uh, I know two of the things that you've you and I've discussed before is how to kind of find like common ground in in dog training and the behavior industry, as well as uh, possibly having some sort of way to maybe measure certain standards with clients and their dogs. So I know you have some interesting takes on that. And and I think that it's interesting, I think, because, and and, uh, we're going to jump into it, but I think your, your take on it's interesting because Today, a hot topic really is talking about um, regulating the dog training behavior industry. And for, for the audience that doesn't know, there are different methods in dog training. And, and so um, one of the things is trying to regulate either the way in which someone may choose to train a dog or maybe ban certain types of tools and, and who chooses those those laws, those regulations, how do we, you know, come up with a system that's going to certify or license a professional who's going to be the one to make the determination what prof- who considers themselves a professional or a certified professional. And so that seems to be like the big conversation today. And I think your, your take on creating standards really for maybe like the owner and for a, a pet dog, a family dog is actually very interesting. So why don't you kind of tell us your thoughts a little bit on that? Because I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of questions for you. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we kind of fall into the category of of talking about, like you mentioned, different methodologies and different approaches and and how to discuss regulating the industry. But, um, you know, when I think about it, and and when we've talked about it, and I've talked with with other trainers, and I kind of want to, I don't see it as much, the lack of standards or definition as to what a trained dog is, I think is is one of the key problems we have, because without that, it's kind of hard to have any discussions around it. It it becomes just, you know, almost like, so it it becomes primary emotional and not a discussion as far as what a standard is. Um, We're one of the only industries that I know of that doesn't have that. Right. So if, um, and I've used, obviously there's a number of different examples, but if I were to, you know, hire an HVAC repair person to come over and, and fix my, you know, fix my, my air conditioning. And that guy is like, your girl is basically like, you know, uh, the standard for a fix for it working right. And air quotes is all over the place. Well, now we have a problem because if technically if they get it working for one minute, Hey, that's, that works, but yeah. that's not going to work for me. So, um, so how I approach it, I use, you know, I like to use just the AKC CGC as, as a basic, right? Um, and I tell my clients, that's what we're going to train to. That's what the goal is. Um, it's a fairly straightforward, easy thing to attain with the appropriate amount of practice. Um, but that gives, number one, the client a standard as to, hey, this is what I'm shooting for. This is what a quote unquote trained dog looks like. That way, if they go out, I know there's some basis that they can judge their dog versus another dog. 
Um, and that that standard can float too. Obviously, if you're dealing with you know severe aggression, well, there may be some issues on there that we're probably not going to maintain or, or not going to attain. Um, I use the example of kind of like the high school diploma or the GED. Right? There's there's different approaches to trying to get that and different ways to get there, but that's roughly a standard that we all want to attain. Um, so that's that's the approach I use, and kind of where that came from is you know, you'll see people that go from to customers that go to multiple dog trainers. And I mean, that's a lot of money, right? If they go to three different dog trainers, that's a lot of money. And if there's no consistent standard amongst the three, if that person says, Hey, my dog knows sit. And I go, okay, can you show me? And they say sit. And the dog literally the rear end hits the ground and pops back up. That's not a sit, but if that trainer told them that that was the standard they trained to, you can't tell them it's not. It's funny. This reminds me of my, my old boss. So I used to manage a recycling company for like five years. And he used to say to me all the time, I pay you well. And I used to say to him, well, that, you know, that depends on what you consider being paid well. And what I consider being right. paid well. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of reminds me of that actually, as you say that. <laughs> <laughs> and we have it in multiple areas. I mean, you know, like Stephanie and, and you know, a case in agility, right? There's, there's a standard. And yeah, yes and no, but yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, and I think once we have that standard agreed upon, then now we can look at what, you know, we can start talking about methodologies a, a little easier and a little more because, okay, we're this, we're, we're trying to reach this standard. And, and how do we reach that with a dog that, you know, looks good, looks like it's, it's having fun doing it, right? It's not all going to be butterflies and rainbows, right? Because there's going to be, it's like us. I mean, if you followed me throughout the day, there'd be days I look pretty stressed, hmm. right? And, and I think that's just the reality of being an operant species on this planet, right? Some days are great. And some days are just, let me get through it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you come up with this idea or like, this thought um, through maybe experience with dog sports or anything like that, because as you, as you said that to Steph, it just made me think like, Oh, you know what? Like that kind of, in some way it makes sense because it's like they're, you're trying to achieve a certain goal. Like Vinny's Vinny's like doing bite, doing bite work or getting introduced to bite work with his dog. And so like there's certain, things that you need to achieve right to get to different levels and everything like that so i was just curious like is that what kind of uh led you to this like concept for a pet i've dog? always been i've always been you know interested in, in sports um you know in the role that sports play in standard pet dog training because you know as with anything if it's something that we're doing it's 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 fun to make a sport out of it right mm -hmm. so if you look at you know like combat sports, you know, jujitsu, MMA, any kind of stuff like that, you're making a sport out of that fight. And there are rules around it. And, and it allows you to kind of perfect some of those skills. Um, so it really wasn't one specific sport. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, when I first started my business, the first the the tagline I wanted to use was training for the sport of life. Because it was like, you know, this is kind of life is kind of like a, a set of just different standards. Um, but, you know, that one kind of went by the wayside. But no, it's <laughs> it's definitely something that 
I think plays a role in, in just, you know, pet dog training. And I think it works great for clients too, because it gives the clients something to look forward to and a standard they can look to reach, right? If I'm telling them, Hey, you need to practice, you know, this much, you need to practice doing this. They understand that, okay, I'm doing it because I'm going to hit that level or do that. Yeah. yeah to make like, to achieve a certain thing, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. And they don't yeah. have to do it. I mean, nothing says they have to actually get it, but they just hit that standard. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So why don't we maybe, um, and I could always pull it up, but maybe we should kind of go over just for like those who don't know, like what the, the uh, standard for CGC is. Yeah. Cause there's, uh, there's like 10, 10 steps or 10, uh, things to test for essentially. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, um, I mean, if you can, you can pull it up if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. I have it pulled up here from yeah. the AKC website. It's uh, accepting a friendly, I'm just going to breeze through it. So I'm yeah. not going to read everything, but just so everyone knows. So it's accepting a friendly stranger. Um, and the, that would be that the evaluator approaches and pretends to shake hands with the handler or the owner, uh, then sitting politely for petting. So the evaluator would pet the dog, um, appearance and grooming evaluator would inspect the dog out for a walk handler takes the dog for a short walk, including right turns, left turns, uh, about turn and a stop walking through a crowd, uh, sit down on cue and also stay in place. The handler would have to walk uh, 20 feet away from the uh, state position. Uh, coming when called, reaction to another dog. So two handlers would approach with each of their dogs and pretend to shake hands. Reaction to distraction. And then supervised separation where the handler would leave for three minutes while uh, the evaluator has the dog on leash for that three minute period. So would that... Um, I guess would that kind of be for your average pet dog that maybe doesn't have certain behavior issues? Because I, I can imagine like numbers one, two, and eight being a problem for a reactive dog. Um, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to just quickly throw a monkey wrench in this right now. I'm gonna throw myself under the bus. I have an amazing eight-year-old Labrador that I love and is a great dog, and he would fucking fail the shit out of the CGC. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just gonna like maybe was... some people, maybe some dog trainers don't want to admit it, but like he would not sit for a grooming. Like he is excited. <laughs> he has been excitable his entire life. He's a field Labrador. And like I'm sure there's ways I could go about passing it if someone held a gun to my head. But like I've kind of just been like, you know what? this really just isn't for him. And I have a great relationship with him and he loves life and he never causes me any problems. So like, I guess along with that of like, you know, just to play devil's advocate a little bit with the people that are say like, Hey, like my dog makes it through life fine without a sit stay, like just doesn't need it. Like I don't need, I don't need to ask my dog to sit. And sometimes you're like Anthony's talking about with like certain severe cases, right? Like if your dog has really bad separation anxiety and that's the only thing that's bothering you. Yeah. doing a sit stay, you know, or like getting brushed by someone is not really gonna change anything for you, you know. Um, and then the only other thing I would ask, and, and this is something that I would like to hear your, your input on, because something I truly am confused about myself is, where does then the time, like, like, do we judge things by time? You know, we, we hear people throw around this Lima, you know, Le you know, Lima, right? 
So like, how long, how long do we try this one thing? Is it like you said, you brought up money. Is it once the client spends a thousand dollars, then we could say, okay, you know what? It's time to like, to go on to this next level because you've already put this much time into it. So yeah, listening, I, I do like having a criteria. I think we spoke about this in a previous episode with um, some of the differences between the two camps and with the people that are in sports, like they, they don't get to just like, po like point at a certificate they printed. Like they have to go out with their dog on a field and be like, look, I succeeded in this. Like I saw this goal. I took this dog and then I was able to to do those things in front of judges. And I think there really is something to that. And there is something to that with our clients, um, with giving them goals to work towards. Um, otherwise, sometimes and I think I, I, I've heard this from Jay Jack talk about this is, you know, sometimes clients are like dogs where like negative reinforcement, you take away a little bit of their discomfort and then they stop training their dog. Like, they're like, oh, you know, the, it took like two sessions, that one thing is done and then they go back to not doing anything with their dog. So I do like the idea of like, oh, I wanna get my CGC, you know? And I've seen people work towards it and they get enthusiastic about it. So um, I don't know if Anthony warned you, but when I talk, I bring up like I seven just, topics. I, was, I see Anthony's like, oh shit, Vinny's doing the I thing he does. I, I, I'm trying to I'm keep sorry. a tally of the questions in my head. <laughs> I bring up like eight things at once. So I just expect you to like carefully was, and thoughtfully respond to every one of them and don't forget anything I said. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you get whatever you got out of that, you can kind of just go, go with it. <laughs> I was sitting, I don't know if you saw, but I've been, I've been sitting here holding in my lap. Yeah, like, Anthony's like, me oh, too. Shit. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. I was going That's to what, yo, come on I was quiet for like the first 30 minutes I was, almost I was trying I was like I'm not gonna talk I'm gonna let him I was, talk I almost cut off Stephanie in the beginning I was like oh shit I was I was going to say something as you were because you already asked like your third question I said uh-oh here we go He's it's like the way in. it's because like the way my brain thinks like the questions are like tied to the other questions and it like only makes sense to me if I kind of like I am all in. I apologize, everyone, but oh, if someone awesome. out there understands at least one person. Yeah. <laughs> no, so the, I think the first part, you know, if, if, like I said, I'm 51 and my memory's growing. So, going, so yes. um, it, it's going to be the worst thing, Vinny, if you're asking long questions and I have a horrible memory. So oh, this is great. Um, it's okay because, John, because honestly, like there are a few episodes now where Stephanie and I, like after Vinny's question, we both like, like so what you say? And we had to stop and we were like, so what are you asking? <laughs> So, you know, the, I think the first part about, about your lab, right? So in that situation, that's perfectly cool. Like when, when I look at this, it's a, it's a general standard. The, the, and why I think it's a bigger deal is, you know, if you're saying, hey, look, that, that's in plenty of people do this. Hey, you know, we don't need to have standard. My dog's fine. If you're now making rules and legislation for other dog trainers, mm -hmm. then I think that's the, the issue because now it's like, you know, this individual standards down here, I just want my dog to be happy and, and have fun. Um, and then now that dog goes out in public, right? And I'm sure you can handle your dog out in public. But yeah. now that's where, you know, it's, it's when that view is now going and, and making legislation. Mm -hmm. Right? So I, I think, you know, and I'm with you, man, you know, if, if my dog's happy, and, and, you know, she's just having a great time, that's great. I just want to make sure that and when clients come in, they're like, dude, I don't want to do all this. I want to get this, this, and that, right? And that's their call. Um, and I just say that, you know, when you take those dogs out, they just, this becomes, in my opinion, 
a standard as to what I want to see when a client says I trained with him and paid, you know, whatever my fee is to go my foundations to functional program. It's basically foundations to get your dog functional in multiple areas, um, generalized mm-hmm. in different mm-hmm. areas. Um, so that's, you know, going back to that first part, it's, it's not, I mean, if you love your dog, Hey, great. I, you know, it's like when we meet people out, right. How many times do we go out and people go, Oh, I got a dog. My dog's crazy. And, and you're a dog trainer. So, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to show you my dog. And I'm like, are you happy? Okay. You know, yeah, yeah you know. for sure. Um, and then, you know, when we talk about, um, I think the other part was, uh, uh, you got me on that. <laughs> so the, the, um, aggr- you mentioned aggression, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I was saying, I guess for certain cases where it might be irrelevant, like separation anxiety or something, yeah. and maybe they want to work on like, Hey, I just want to be able to go to work for seven hours and I don't want my dog to chew a hole through the wall, you know, and then it, it, we might not need to work on a sit stay or the dog might not need to be touched by a, hand, uh, by a stranger or something like that. You yeah. Know? So, and again, this is just me. I, it's not that I fully believe like, like I'm not no, throwing this audio. Good. I'm just like, I'm hearing people in my head that would be asking these questions. So I'd like to ask them for them. <laughs> you know? So like when we look at, um, you know, and I hate the word obedience, right? It's, it's just because it's kind of just been thrown around for a number of years. But when we look at it, it, it goes back to those, those um, words that we all need to agree upon. Right. So I look at it more like manners. Right. So when I'm teaching a dog sit to a dog sit equals please. I want the dog to use that as a way to say, please, can I do this? I also need the dog. If I need you to do this, just show me you can do it, right? It doesn't have to be, you're going to do it right now and I have to see it, right? Um, so the dog should understand that and, and see it as a valuable thing. See, you know, a, um, a, a desire to do it. Um, the down is, is more of like just a, a way for the dog to just chill out. Right? Chill for hey, longer periods of time. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you know, I need the dog to understand that if I need you to lay down, then you need to do it and kind of just chill out. You're going to hang out for a while and then we'll get to do something else. Um, and then recalls, I think, you know, recalls is, is one of the most important skills we all need. Um, and, uh, you know, so when we look at those again, it's, it's a general approach, but you can modify it for each client. If I have a client that has horrible separation anxiety and that supervised separation is a huge deal for them, we're going to shoot for 30 seconds. And if we get for 30 seconds, then maybe, we, you know, we'll do a little bit longer. Um, if it's a dog aggression issue or dog reactivity, then that distance, you know, with that other dog, maybe a little further. Um, I just want them to understand that, Hey, look, this is something, because if they get that win with that dog, you know, hundred, 200 feet away. Now it's like, wait, if I keep working, can I get that dog closer? For sure. For sure. And so, yeah, that's, you know, and the tough part is, you know, we have, you know, the big thing I'm looking for and when we talk about it is just have some kind of standard so that if for some reason, because when we make, when they're making legislation, there's going to be people that decide on what, you know, what this is. Um, and just to have something that we can all start to say, you know, and so you then, as a trainer do this. So then to tie into like one of my 20 other questions um, with the time. And then we're talking about now standards and we're talking about legislation, which is, of course, talking about tools and, yeah. and people banning certain things. And I, you know, I listened to you on the, the Working Dog Depot podcast recently 
Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you were talking about something, um, you know, that I, that I've seen and it was the, the changing of certain words and redefining, you know, like what is dog abuse? Um, and, um, so I guess what I'm getting at is we have these standards, then how do we decide or who gets to decide? Like, how long does the standard have to, how long do we have to get that met? And then at which point can we start, you know, creating discomfort? How can, when can we start putting discomfort onto, onto a dog? Because again, like, to be fair, there are some people that think, you know, even minor levels of discomfort is abusive or is violent or is pain, right? And we can get into that. We don't have to get into that whole thing. But right. like, where then do we where do we draw that line and then how do we pick like how do we choose how do we put a number on it you know what i mean because like you look like a bigger and stronger dude than me i'm sure you pulling on a prong is different than me and and the numbers are different and like how do we set levels um, yeah so that i mean clear it, yeah so i mean that's again great long question there Vinny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we look at that right so you know the the learner has to determine what's aversive Right. So I think one of the mm -hmm. things that people talk about, you know, have, have talked about, you know, years ago that I heard was um, we've all been in situations where I'm guessing where, you know, somebody comes in and maybe their dog is a little bit uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're like, OK, you know, let's let's let them kind of chill out a little bit, maybe offer them a reward or something like that. And they go to give the dog a reward and the dog turns its face away. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's still maybe a little too uncomfortable. That's right. There's a definition of positive punishment. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, you introduce an aversive. And so now it's like, wait a second, you know, the, the intention there was to give that dog a reward and make the dog maybe feel a little more comfortable. Um, but the dog determined that, no, no, that's not exactly what it is. So it becomes difficult. I mean, us as professionals have to make that call. Um, yeah. You know, I'm looking for, you know, I have a dog here for boarding train. Um, and I love doing board and trains because I love taking a dog from, you know, a basically no real level to a, you know, standard that I like. Um, for the first week, it's all butterflies and rain, but that dog can't fail at anything, mm -hmm. right? We're just walking around and I'm just a, a food dispenser. And, you know, and I'm, I'm basically shaping all those behaviors I want. So it just depends on the individual. There's no real timeline that I see when I'm, you know, when I'm looking at this, I've had clients that have been clients for, so when I have a client, once they finish my program, it's training for the life of the dog, right? So if they come in and they work with me for eight months to a year, okay. Right? You know, life's going to get in the way and we're still going to roll toward, and they may never reach this level, but that's, you know, I kind of want them to think about that as far as the time to put in it them working in it. I always say it's kind of like parenting, right? You start when you wake up and you finish when you go to sleep. And it's all those moments in between that you're working with your dog, you're living with your dog. And I'm working with my dog doing all these things, right? I'm grooming him, clipping their nails, taking my dog places when they can, you know, when they can go to these places, um, using basic sits and downs and, and those kind of things. Uh, so did that answer your question as far as yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess still um, with the, the time, tools. yeah, with, with you, you time, so, so I understand with what you said, like, obviously, the learner gets to decide what's aversive, like my, my Labrador, I throw a harness on him, and the, the dog spins three times and lays down and doesn't move, like, he just hates the feeling 
of that. I've met dogs who you click a clicker and they run and they hide under a table. They don't For like sure. the noise, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess what, what sometimes I see is we rely, we can rely on a tool very quickly. So, mm -hmm. you know, your trainer goes to a house and then like within moments they're slipping, they're slipping a tool on the dog. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in, in my experience, when I walk into a client's house in the beginning, there are a ton of ways that I need to first build that relationship. Like you're saying, mm -hmm. you know, they're already doing things that are aversive to the dog that they don't even know. You know, like most of my clients don't have electric collars or pong collars in their house. They're like, oh, I would never do that to my dog. And then I'm watching them like yank the dog by a flat collar out of the house. I'm like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like right. the dog yeah. would be better off like, with something else. You know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, I, I mean, back to the time, you know, say you don't have the dog that is, you know, nervous of the food, say you just have a, a wild Labrador that doesn't pass its CGC. And at what point do you say, okay, this dog needs a collar correction? And then how hard is that correction? And then if that correction, like, that's that's what I guess I'm looking for is even, you know, when I've been in my own, you know, Karen Pryor or whatever, they would say, oh, Lima, like we could mm -hmm. use Lima, but it's kind of like we don't ever get to like, OK, well, then when do we get to do anything else? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so so two things are, um you know, you mentioned you know, going to a client's house and the client doesn't have, you know, electric collar, prong collar, but yet they're they're, you know, punishing the dog um, okay. in that situation. Right. You know the intent in which you use the tool is whether or not it's abuse or not, because we yeah. can all agree. We've seen people with flat collars, flat collars dog. Yeah, you know, dogs out. gentle yeah. leaders. I mean, gentle. gentle leaders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I heard you on your podcast talk. and I did the same thing. I was like that. I was talking, my wife wasn't listening, but I was like, yeah, I was in my car alone. And I was like, Oh yeah. Cause I got in, I get in heated battles with that. Like, upon, yeah. like again, people are going to hate me right now. Cause Oh, prong collars are so bad, but like you'll rip your dog around by their face. You know what I mean? On their neck. Like, uh, it just doesn't <laughs> make any I talk sense about, to me. Vinny and I talk about all the time, like who decided like that the, the head halter was less aversive than the prong collar, because I have so many clients that make attempts at putting a head halter on and like to see them bucking around like they hate lot. it right away. You put oh, a prong right, collar on right the dog, away. I mean, uh, yeah, flinch, you have to right? condition, you have to condition a dog to tools regardless, but for sure. But it, I mean, like, like you were saying before, it's, it's what the individual learner finds aversive, not what we just think is aversive or not, you know? Yeah, and, and your skill with the tools. I mean, I think you guys mentioned at one of the other podcasts about, um, you know, getting skills with, with various tools, right? You know, learning, understanding how to use those tools. Because like, you know, the prong collar, obviously it's, it's essentially the same thing as a snaffle bit on a horse, right? It puts, if you want to turn the horse, it's that bit sitting on the inside of the horse's mouth. You're applying light pressure enough to get that horse, horse to avoid that, turn their head, which then turns their body. And then you're releasing that pressure. If you're jerking on that, you're going to end up flying about 10 feet because that horse is going to buck you. Right. Um, you know, same thing with, with the, and we talk about Lima, right? Lima is just a, a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. It's <laughs> another um, second podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things I like was the old, um, you know, uh, and I've used this for years, the old um, American Veterinary Society of Animal Behaviorist uh, position statement on punishment, right? So I think at the end of it, I'm just rolling off the top of my head, and I hope this is right, because it's been a number of years. But it basically said standards for, I think it used uh, um, veterinarians and anyone using punishment should be number one, um, educate the client on the possible outcomes, the possible negative effects of this tool, 
right? Um, be aware of any negative effects occurring and have a plan to mitigate those should they appear, right? Um, that's with any tool, right? The current issue, the current huge issue fading, facing dogs right now, biggest health issue is canine obesity. It comes from food. We all use food and training, right? So, I mean, that to me is one of, is the misuse of that is one of the biggest aversives out there because dogs are suffering. And it's something that, you know, we, for the most part, you know, obviously with humans, there's so many other issues that, that come in. Somebody can tell me, Hey, John, you know, eat right. And I can run out and eat 15 Twinkies if I want to. Right. But for my dog, it's the food that I give them. And I can make sure that they maintain a good, healthy weight and they get good exercise. Um, so, you know, when we talk about tools, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, when we discuss it, any tool, we always say it's any tool can be abused, of course. And it always comes back to the intent on that individual when using that. Um, so if I'm using a pinch collar, you know, if I decide that I'm going to use a pinch collar on this dog, because let's say, you know, for whatever reason, I feel that's the best tool for that dog. Number one, my rule with my clients is I will never put a collar on your dog. You don't agree with, we will discuss it. If you say, Hey, John, I don't want to use that. I'm going to tell you all the things that you have to do if we're using this other tool. Um, and we're going to look at the dog, right? Because, you know, we talked about gentle leaders. I had a lab you know, talk about harnesses. I had a lab came in the other day, you know, overweight, but you could tell that that lab has worn a harness for like six years and the steps are so short. There's no movement in the shoulders. They walk the dog every day with this harness. That's the dog's kind of grown into. So, I mean, yeah, I mean that in that situation, you're taking a tool that is that we all would say, Oh, that's not aversive, but now that dog has some serious issues with its shoulders and mobility. So, it, it, and that's the tough part I think we face with the industry because I would love, and we talked about this, you know, before, I would love to find a way to just put something over the collar, right? Or the tool. So we can just look at the behavior of the dog and say, hey, that dog's, we all know what a happy dog looks like, right? And you know what a decent dog looks like. And once we see that, then the, the methodology that got there kind of, is not as important. We start, we can talk a little, you know, I guess not as a, we don't bring our own, you know, biases towards it. And we all have biases. We all, we know that. So then, so then um, if, if you were deciding to choose a tool, then what would be, what is making that tool work over another tool? Is it, is it leverage? Is it that it does? Is it discomfort? Um, um, is it pain? Is it intimidation? And I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I've seen dogs that look like they're having a grand old time and they're wearing a prong and an e-collar and they're running through the woods. And to me, you know, that's less offensive to me than like the dog that is 50 pounds overweight and its life is basically sitting on top of a couch, looking out a window and barking all day. And it doesn't yeah. even know what a walk is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know when I personally use tools with clients, you know, such as like a head halter or something, it's mostly when the owner cannot control their dog physically. You know, you have like a, a 70 year old lady that has an 80 pound dog. And if it's not for the tool, that dog is just going to sit in the house and never get anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess to kind of circle back um, and ask, I guess, more bluntly, when, if ever, should you 
intentionally or should you not use pain or discomfort to get a, to get a behavior? Yeah. So, you know, I think that's when you start talking about pain and discomfort, it goes back to that dog, right? Because if you see that dog, I mean, how many, that dog that's worn a harness, right? That I was talking about the other day, that dog's in pain. Mm-hmm. So there was no, there was just no chronic pain. pain. <laughs> right. right. It's like day pain, right? Um, so typically, like if I'm going to use something like a, a, a different collar than most dogs I work with, are just on the flat buckle collar, number one. And I teach mm-hmm. them leash pressure from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Shut off that pressure, mark and reward. Shut off the pressure, mark and reward, right? Mm-hmm. And get the dog to understand that leash as, you know, a gas pedal, a brake pedal, and a steering wheel. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one reinforcing all that. So once that basic level of communication is done, I can then use anything I want mm-hmm. for depending on that dog and that client. Because so it's I, your method is not your tool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So then if you need like a mechanical advantage at that point, mm-hmm. I can find the right mechanical advantage for that dog. If I have a dog that, you know, has a longer muzzle, right. And, and maybe is a little more sensitive, then I'm not going to use a gentle leader right, or some kind of head halter. Um, because that dog's going to start nose diving as soon as we put it on. And, you know, you're, you're going to, it's going to be difficult, less difficult. It's going to be more difficult to condition that tool. Um, whereas if I can use a pinch collar on that dog, the dog now understands how to shut off the pressure, right? So there's probably very, you know, it's very unlikely you're going to be using a big correction in that point, mm-hmm. right? Because that dog understands it and it, and it sees it as a, a way to communicate versus, you know, the human just jerking it around. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when we're using any kind of, of, you know, positive punishment or any kind of punishment, um, typically, you know, my rule is if the dog's going to hurt themselves, mm-hmm. right, if the dog's going to hurt somebody else, or if the dog's going to destroy some type of property that you are with the dog on, right? So if your dog is going to, you know, um, lunge into the street, running in the street. Now, this is after you've already taught everything else. Right? So it's not just put the dog on there and go out, you know, and, and start doing this. But if you're walking down the street, your dog understands to walk on a, a loose leash and it sees that as rewarding. And it's on in that magic hula hoop on your left hand or right hand side. Right. And then the dog goes, I know I'm supposed to be here, but guess what? I'm going for, you know, the squirrel in the, in the road. Mm-hmm. At that point, it's, it would be appropriate for some type of, of correction because dog, the dog understands that. Right. And I think at that point, you have to have, I'm not going to say you have to, at that point, it's, it's warranted to have that single learning event to, to have that dog possibly think next time I shouldn't just lunge for that or go after that. Um, And I think the key, the key thing you brought up there was that like, once they learned everything else, you know, Mm -hmm. and the one thing that, you know, me and Anthony have talked about this, which started opening me up to, you know, the Michael Ellis's, the Ivan's like getting my, getting my feet wet in the world of the balance training more was I would work with clients and it would be, you know, we'd be using positive reinforcement and they'd be teaching the dog everything. And then they would just get so frustrated that I'd go back in a week or two. And like, you know, I'd see the shot collar by the, by the thing. And then I'm like, what did you do? How did you do it? And I'm like, holy shit. You know, whereas like, 
if they would have been with you, it would have not have been as bad, you know, not saying it would be bad at all, but it would have been like way better than whatever they were doing. Right. And I was like, you know, there has to be some middle ground because I feel like, and this is where I'll throw my own, you know, my own camp uh, sometimes under the bus is we, you, you make people feel guilty and you ridicule them and you make them mm -hmm. feel like, oh, if you, if you ever use a tool like that, you're abusing your dog. And then they go and they hide and then they do it and they don't seek professional help. You know, I had clients that would tell, like they'd be working with me and then they had the tools hide, like hidden mm -hmm. and they were using them in secret from me. And like, I never even told them like not to really use them. I never said, I just never got brought up. Oh, right. I figured you wouldn't like them, you know? Um, so, you know, I agree that, you know, teaching them and then having some type of a standard. So where do we go from here? What, what, what? I think more think? communication. It's just more yeah. open communication and understanding that, you know, we're not, we're, we're training dogs. Right. And, and I think that's where, you know, it's why I love, you know, working with trainers that are actually doing things with their dogs. Right. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, you know, it's, it can be frustrating, you know, um, when we as dog trainers are working with like for boarding trains, I love having a boarding train or a day training or something like that, because I'm going through what my client goes through on a monthly basis. Uh -huh. <laughs> when that dog is just like, yeah, dude, today it's just not happening. It's not happening. Right. And I'm like, okay, fine. It's not happening. We'll, we'll be back at it tomorrow. Or it's like, oh my God, you know, this dog's having some, you know, stress colitis or something like that because it's in the house. Um, so seeing what your client's going through on a daily basis is is really to me is fun it's humbling right i take in a puppy board and train like once a year just to keep myself keep myself <laughs> sharp i don't want to get too comfortable i took this year off because i got my own puppy and i was like oh god yeah oh it's 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 awesome right it's it's, it's the it's the best worst thing out there right yeah. because at yeah. the end you're like oh this is awesome because this dog's fun and you know and then for me when i take that dog back you know, and they're like, oh, my dog is doing this. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he did that for me, too. And it kind of, <laughs> here's what we need to do, right? So it's like, they're like, okay, you kind of know what, what I'm going through here. Um, whereas I think some dog trainers will be like, just do this without that true understanding of, of kind of, you know, sitting in the trenches. I, yeah, I, actually, sure. I actually have a question that kind of pertains to this then. So do you feel like, what's your feeling on kind of what Vinny touched on, like, what's your feeling on trainers that are maybe in different, um, they fall into different methodologies, or they fall into one over another, what's your feeling on having them? Should they learn from trainers or professionals that are not in the same methodology that they believe in? Like Vinny was saying how, you know, he, he, you know, took some of the Ellis stuff, some of the Ivan stuff, J Jack, you know, all the, like, so where do you, like, what are your thoughts on all that? I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think it's great. And I think we definitely need to do it because, you know, I would not, my timing and my use of markers would not be as good as they are if I wasn't watching, you know, plus our trainers, right. You know, I took Mike Shikashio's aggression dogs master course. Right. And, 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 you know, I loved it. I love that approach because the more tools I have in my toolbox and the more, you know, approaches I can use, I think I'm a better trainer for it. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the bite sports, I mean, it's kind of where tug came from to a certain extent. Right. And, you know, seeing how they work dogs 
and how they work dogs on, on different surfaces, you know, using a, um, a, a, just a standard bite wedge versus like a leather wedge where the dog has to really get a good grip on. Right. And if it doesn't get a good grip, it's going to lose it. Well, then that makes that dog a little more driving and want to, you know, bite a little harder onto that tug. And that's going to give me a dog with more motivation that wants to play tug. And I can build that, you know, equipment fixation. So maybe that dog doesn't, you know, bite a hand, right. Or, or bite a leg or something like that. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. You know, say learning from those different, you know, everybody has something to bring to the table, right. But we all just have to be able to pull us, pull up a seat at the table to do it and be, a, be welcome to the table. I mean, I think that's where we, we kind of all, and again, we all have this, but if we can all do it with the, the focus of making that dog better and making that dog, you know, the best version of itself and, and run through the fields and do all the cool stuff it was genetically designed to do and kind of just, you know, leave the rest of it at the door. And I think we're, we're better off for that. And we can disagree and, and that's cool. I, I also think that being able to learn from someone maybe that thinks differently than you or, or is maybe in a different methodology, I think is also important because if you're going to sit and argue and for your side only, but you've never actually maybe experienced or understand the logistical things that maybe go into whatever it is the other person is doing, um, I think that having that knowledge is going to help you so much more in terms of deciding what you believe in is either factual or true, but also it kind of gives you another, it gives you more information on why you choose to do what you do, or maybe it'll also help you decide, hey, you know what, actually, that wasn't that bad. You know, yeah. like I've, I've, uh, you know, I know I've told you, you know, I've taken, I've taken a few courses from different trainers like Mike Ellis and, and, you know, some other trainers as well. And, and I think sometimes because everyone, you know, you hear from what other people say that really you need to just be able to go in and make your own decision. Because after I started watching that stuff, I've said this to Vinny, like, you know, like after I start watching like some of these things, it really isn't that bad, you know, um, and, and there's actually more knowledge and, and all, not, they're very knowledgeable. And also we all meet more in the middle than we think, Yeah. you know, and I, so I agree with you there. I, I think like sometimes it's just that knowledge can really, you know, make you step back and observe and think about things a little more. And the tough part, I think, you know, one of the other things is, I think uh, Pat Stewart did this on a video uh, months ago, but talking about just the industry, right? And you have that, that vocal minority on one side mm. right? and the vocal minority on the other side. And the vast majority of us are in the middle. Just and we're quiet. <laughs> yeah, right. And we're, we're like, going to yeah, start speaking you know. up. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah. So I think that's, you know, that's what we need to do more of, in my opinion, is just kind of looking at it from just a, um, a dog training perspective. Hey, how, how can we just sharing ideas and thoughts and, you know, and doing it in a way that, again, I, I just go back to making that dog better, right? Cause yeah. you know, yeah, it, it's, um, 
it, it can become different. I know uh, Robert Sapolsky, he has this video, this six minute video on the big thing, right? And one of those, one of those uh, um, YouTube things. And he talks about, you know, um, the, the, how you get two groups together. And when one group disagrees with the other group, yes, you know, yes, all that, you know, all those good hormones. Yeah, that's right. They're horrible. You know, they're doing this, blah, blah, blah. And it just, you know, kind of just keeps that going. And yeah, not no, until you find that common ground. Right. And, you know, when you look at, and I know Vinny, you mentioned on one of the previous podcasts about, you know, having a background in psychology. Mm-hmm. And when you look at those, finding those common grounds, I mean, that's how you, you know, get rid of a lot of that when these two people can't stand each other, but they're both, you know, cards fans. Now it's like, wait a second, we're both <laughs> cards fans. Yeah. That back. Right. So yeah. I think if we find more of that, you know, whether through, yeah. through sports or, or standards or something like that. Yeah, it's true. And it's so funny because uh, I'm hearing, I'm just sitting here like listening to you say all this and I can only speak for myself. Um, but I, I, I'm just laughing because like four years ago or whatever, I don't know that I would have been as open to this conversation. You know, I'm embarrassed. It's fucking horrible <laughs> to say. What a but piece like, of shit you wear for Yeah, you I mean, what a piece of shit. I can attest to that because I've watched his growth over the last four years. Yeah, but when I first met Anthony, I mean, you were purely positive and I knew that from the get-go and I was willing to just meet you in the middle and let you take your time and let you kind of, you know, I was happy to show you some other things and just let you be the one to decide what was best for your dog at the end of the day, because John, you said it multiple times. I mean, it's about the dog at the end of the day. I mean, that's why we do what we do. Right. So, yep. yeah, but didn't mean to interrupt you there, Anthony. No, I'm no, gosh, no, no, no. I mean, that, yeah. she that said was the perfect. double P word. Uh-oh. <laughs> We're in trouble. <laughs> You're paying in the ass. So, um, Vinny's one to talk no and you know like with me (laughs) the thing that motivated me with this is I've been feeling honestly and still to this day right now very like campless but like I'm almost feeling more comfortable here than anywhere else you know like I have probably balance trainers looking at my videos and being like look at this dumbass with his dumb dog that can't even pass the cgc they're probably listening like ah (laughs) haha his labrador is an idiot you know (laughs) but then i have you know people in my direct messages telling me that i'm like jerking dogs and punishing them because i'm teaching them leash pressure at like with my pinky holding the leash and then you get to the point where it's like well i can't please you because like no matter what i do it's wrong like if i say "Uh uh-uh like i said no to my dog in a video and I, that means that you're not getting the tug, dude, because you bit it before I told you to. And and now I'm like this horrible, abusive person. But then on the far end of it, it's like I'm not like rolling newspapers up and bonking my dog in the head and telling him that like I'm the alpha. You know what I mean? <laughs> so then it's like I kind of feel like I think that's why people do go to the middle and they get quiet. Because I'm like, if I speak up on this, the balance trainers are going to, you know, maybe push me down or, or ridicule me. Um, and then if maybe if I go too much this way, then like, that's not gonna be enough for that. And then I'm going to be called a balance trainer. So it's just like, I'm a dog trainer. And then the funny thing too, is like with the social media aspect where, uh, like my safe haven has been my work because I go to work and I walk into a client's home. Do you know how many times I talk about quadrants or positive punishment or balanced dog training? They don't know. They just know I'm Vinny, the dog trainer that their friend used and they like their dog. And I came over and I'm just helping them do like train their dog, you know? And so then like I go back and then the, the social media world is so toxic. And I think sometimes it is filled with 
some people that are, you know, maybe on there too much, which like I'm guilty of myself. And then you get into those bubbles and it feels like you have to be like at war constantly and proving the other side is wrong with something. And it's like, I don't know, man, it, it, it's like what you said, you got to help the dogs. You got to do it for the dogs and for the people that, you know, people are struggling. They, they want our help. It, I think one of the things you mentioned there, Vinny, is really is one of the things we see most often is if you create, you know, if you're on social media and you create a training persona that is stuck in this one thing, it is really hard for you to break out, whether you're on one side or the other. And I don't like that. I hate the term balanced. I just, you know, mm -hmm. it's because it, like I'm a huge fan of definitions. Right? It's so funny. Like, the both sides hate the, the names <laughs> for their sides. <laughs> right? like, you know, it's it, so great. I love this. It's, it's crazy because like, I know my family gets frustrated because, you know, we start talking to them like, well, you know, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? Right. And, you know, so we start, if we can't define it, how can we, you know, I, I don't feel, I like Lima. I, I'm a Lima trainer, right? I would consider myself a Lima trainer. And when we look at, you know, Lima's far more, when you look at, at you know, oh, Steve yeah. book handbook on, on applied dog training, right? I mean, that the one page they cite that, that a lot of people cite is, it's not the whole thing. It's not, you know, all of Lima. Um, so, and it happens from second to second, minute to minute. So it's really hard to have a very big, blueprint towards you know this is how i'm going to do it my understanding of it is so you're going second to second doing what i need to do to keep this dog healthy to get achieve the goal i want um so the dog i mean it, it, again we're, we're we're doing it so the dog can be better in the long run so the dog can enjoy more uh, now you mentioned you know the the standards people come in at you for for your lab my ridgeback right she's eight um she got her cgc when she was about she's about eight months. I don't like that. Oof. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and, and I'll never do that again. You know, nowadays I'm like, look, if a client wants to do that, right. I always say, don't, you know, any dog less than two years, I'm like, don't train your dog, raise your dog. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause the minute like you that. change that, that statement, it's a whole different approach. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because, and I use my dog as an example, when she got that, I mean, it was like a choreographed dance, right. She mm -hmm. was on for that day. That was not yeah. indicative of her daily behaviors, right? So now- You mean she's not just perfect all the time? <laughs> right? She's a Ridgeback, right? It's like playing fetch with a Ridgeback. They're like, no, dude, that's not going to happen. You go get the ball. Um, but yeah, no, so um, I think that's where, you know, finding that common ground and having those discussions and kind of just putting the labels away, I think is what, it, and and- the, uh, you know, I'm going to use the term balance side, the balance side, you mentioned Ivan, right? Ivan Valvano. Um, a couple of years ago, there was, you know, Ivan had a, a, a put a picture up of, of his dog and his dog was wearing a, a pinch collar and it was a loose pinch collar, very loose, longer pinch collar. And he specifically using that type of collar on that fit for a specific task. Well, I think he had like a flexi lead, right? Too. Right. He might have, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And like some, you know, a younger trainer gets on and goes, well, that collar is put on wrong. And it goes on to this whole thing about how that collar is yeah. not on right. And we're like, hey, did you know who you're talking to? Right? <laughs> I mean, that guy knows exactly what he's doing. Everybody's just like, oh. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if, and I think that, 
that's why I'm such, and I know it really pisses people off when I talk about, you know, standards and stuff, because I go back to that. I'm like, if we have that one thing we can agree on a generalized approach, then we can start to look, okay, well, how did you do that? You know, and, and you can see how they got it and you can go, you know, what? I like that. I don't like that. You know, your dog's fine. Dog's good. You know, your dog looks good, looks healthy, happy, and, and you're doing a great job. I just don't like that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, everybody has their own thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to national canine, right. And that's a, it's a, um, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a old, it's more of a, I'm not going to say compulsion based, but it is right. You're using slip chains and prong collars and things like that. Um, you're not using a lot of, of food. Um, I don't re- you know, I don't really use a lot of that anymore, but what I did do was you'd spend a lot of time practicing without the dog on leash work. I mean, mm-hmm. my leash work, you, you come out of that school with phenomenal leash work because it's in your hand all day. You're really, you know, you're using, you're, you're practicing how to apply pressure, how to release pressure. Um, so I can take that away from it, right? And I can take certain things away from it, but that's not indicative of the kind of trainer I am. You know, again, Mike Ellis, you know, Forrest Mickey, you know, um, Pat Stewart, a lot of the Nipopo guys really are, are what, you know, guide me as far as you know, if I'm looking at the balance side, right. And then pulling in the, the applied ethology side, Roger Brandy's Kim Brophy, you know, all that really cool stuff, bringing a whole new element to it. Like, and we talk about that in the standards, like, you know, going back to where I, this is where I'm going to disagree with my standards thing, right. There may be certain dogs that just, you know, you're fighting genetics and it just may not work. Right. And so now you have to adjust what you're looking for, you know, based on that. I have a question. I have, uh, I'm going to pull a Vinny on this one and make it a two part. I'll, I don't know. Make if it I a nice, concise I question. I don't know if I can even say it's really a Vinny question because it's only going to have two parts to it, not 10. So yeah, you guys are going to send me a therapy after this, man. <laughs> You should hear the conversations he and I have together. Oh boy. (laughs) So my question, uh, I guess is for, so going to back to the standards um, for the professionals out there now, um, how do we get a client to work towards maybe that criteria or those standards? Because I think that's something that all of us struggle with, with particular clients. And then the second part of that is, um, do you find there's a way to motivate the client or to have the client see what the end goals are supposed to be? Because so I think that I had a client today that I was talking to and, you know, I caught myself uh, talking as if like they knew what I was talking about when I was just kind of going over before we start our hands-on work in that session I just wanted to explain some stuff to them first yeah. and they picked it up, but I realized that I had forgotten to say like, here's what the end goal is going to be with what we're doing. And so I'm just wondering if there's a way maybe that you find or, or that comes to mind on how we can get our clients to see that vision of what the end goal should be. Yeah. I mean, I'll use a lot of analogies. Like, you know, one of the more common ones is, you know, why did, why do you take math in high school, right? Why do you take math? 
That's right. a good freaking question. Right. I don't know why did I John? <laughs> right. Right. back when you but then when you back when you had to balance your checkbook, it made sense, right? Right. But then when I'm calculating, you know, now it's a lot easier because you know we I was have gonna say they told me I wasn't gonna have a calculator everywhere I went. Uh, right. So, <laughs> so you know, I'll tell you a story. Thank so God we, um, for the calculator. Back when I was on the police department, um, I was a detective and we, we were all we were, had to go through this class and this guy came in. This would have been 1998. Um, this guy was the from this place called FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. And, you know, this guy started talking about, he's like, I'll tell you guys what, within the next 10 years, everything you gonna, you're going to need to do, you're going to want to do is going to be on your phone. And these are back when we had flip phones, right? Flip phones <laughs> were a big deal, flip phones and pagers. And everybody's like, what? You're insane. There's no way. He's like, no, no, I'm telling you, you're going to be able to access the internet and both. And we're like, you mean that thing that goes, beep, boo, you know, <laughs> he's like, yep, it's, it's happening in the next decade. We're like, no way, man. 2007, right? The iPhone's been out no nine yards, but yeah. So, so when we go back to those standards, you know, I'm trying to, to educate my clients and go, Hey, look, if we're going to train for this, you're going to want to take, you know, if you can do this and, and, you know, we do it in a way that the dog enjoys and sees value. Now you can go get coffee with your dog. You know, you can go have lunch with your dog. You can take your dog to any place that allows dogs um, on leash. And again, I, I, all this is on leash. I'm not a, you know, if a client wants to do off leash stuff with their dog, I always ask why, what they're going to do. And I really want to find out with that client in that, you know, the on leash program, if, you know, I want them to have an e-collar, you know, the, I provide all the tools to my clients, which means I can, I don't have to provide them and I can take them away because again, I can provide them. So, you know, if my, if I don't like their timing, if they're not using markers appropriately, it's not a good fit for an e-collar. Mm. Right. Um, because, you know, so, and so we're going back to the, the standards, I'm just selling the idea that you can take your dog different places and not have to have that fear of your dog completely acting out because they understand what they're supposed to do. A large portion of them misbehaving is because the client's anxious, right? If you're taking your dog out, you're going to go out and get coffee with your dog and your dog, you know, your dog's going to act up when they're fidgety, you know, they're pulling a little too tight, holding that dog a little too tight. When then that dog gets frustrated because it's too tight to the owner and it wants to pull away. And then now somebody comes up with little fluffy and fluffy's, growling at that dog and that dog feels like it's being held too tight now you have anxiety building um where if you if you kind of give them the idea that by doing this it provides more freedom and the ability to take your dog more places that's loving i mean talk about you know being able to be handled i mean that's are like god bless you when they bring you bring the dog in the dog sees being handled as a valuable thing I mean, we I had my Malinois a couple of weeks ago and she had to get her eyes checked out and they had to put like the little litmus strip inside the eyelid Oof. and hold it there for like 10 seconds. Right. And then putting the green drops in, shutting the lights out and putting a light in her eyes. And then, you know, I had to put drops in her eyes twice a day. The fact that she could sit there and take that and just and be like, okay, because, you know, we've worked on that since she was a puppy. So she sees value in it. And, you know, she knows that, okay, if the, the squeeze is worth the juice, 
she's going to take all this and get that reward at the end. And we just kind of work for that. So, you know, in, in looking at those individual elements and, and when I work with other trainers and they're asking me about this, I'm like, come up with your own. It doesn't have to be the CGC, whatever you feel comfortable with. Maybe it's just walking on a loose leash, you know, being handled and distractions, but come up with something so that you can approach each dog with a little bit of, of, you know, consistency and know this is what we're training for. Um, it helps me with boarding trains because, you know, I get that dog out every morning. I know where we're at. I know where we're going and I can adjust as needed, depending on how that dog's feeling that day. And it doesn't have to be a three week thing. I mean, I've had boarding trains where that dog needed five weeks, six weeks. That's okay. So how, how, how do we do this? How do we do it? Do we have to like, like, I don't know, who's the head of the force free? Who's the head of the, who's the head of the balance? Like, how do we, what, like, do we even see this happening? Um, and, and I'll admit something, a trend that I, I've been seeing lately is, is almost the, a version of saying the word dog training. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if you've, if you've seen yeah. that. Yeah. um like like just training dogs is almost a bad word to say now <laughs> and I, you know it's like maybe that's where i draw my line you know because i enjoy having a dog that's trained right like i don't need my dog to to follow me around like i'm some master but i would like to call my dog and i'd like my dog to come to me right? right i'd like my dog to sleep and not wake me up all night and pee on my floor and i'd like to walk my dog down the street and not be you know, ripping my arm out of its socket. So, you know, I'm trying to see, like, I'm trying to think about what kind of pushback. I'm trying to almost like steel man the argument of the opposite side. And maybe could you do that? Like, what do you think would be the steel man of someone that was arguing against what you're saying right now? Yeah. Or maybe so, what's the biggest pushback you've had? I, it's tough because I think, you know, one of the first things people say, well, I don't use any aversive in my dogs. I, I don't use any aversive at all with my dogs. And I always say, you know, I use the example of winter and raining when it's 35 degrees and it's raining. I always say, well, does your dog poop in the corner of your house? They go, no. And I'm like, well, then the dog's going outside in 35 degrees and raining. That's an aversive, right? Your dog doesn't have to, you could sit over there and clean it up, but you choose to send your dog out there, right? So it's, when we look at it, it's when we tie into those very specific dogmas, I think is where we kind of get you know, and then the tough part is people have to be, have that, be able to have that conversation because a lot of people will hear that and go, that, that, I'm not, that doesn't make any sense. Right. It, you know, and that's the tough part. Um, I think the scary part for me is, you know, we talk about, you know, banning tools and things like that. And, and, you know, it doesn't stop there. Right. We know that, um, you know, bite sports, you, Vinny, you mentioned you're getting, what sports are you doing now? Mondering. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. at some point, there's no doubt in my mind, people are going to say, we don't need dogs that bite things. Yeah. We don't need Malinois. Why? <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, well, that dog's biting things. Why were you training dog to bite things? Mm -hmm. Right. And then, then it gets to wait, you know, how many dogs get injured on agility? Right. Well, well you're injuring dogs. We got to, we got to really start cutting back on that. We got to make the jumps lower to the point where there are no jumps. Right. We got to make the, you know, everything wider so the dog doesn't fall off. Right. And at that point, 
now we've taken this amazing species that's been around for thousands of years and you know 20,000 years ago looked like this one animal and since then we have how many just eating things? greenies on the couch now right and i think it starts you know i think it starts with with specific tools right um and again i you know i'd be people are people misuse tools they do 100 and the frustrating part i see is you know when i have clients that come in and, and they come in with you know a pinch collar on their dog and it's horribly fitted and it's huge or they go, oh yeah, I have a shock collar. And I always say, take it off, right? Because, and I explain superstitious association, right? And, and I explain all that stuff, right? And I explain learned helplessness and all the, all the cool stuff. But I think there's, a, um, I can't think of the guy's name, but he was a physicist, but um, his approach is you have to be able to explain it to like a fifth grade level. Right. Yeah. If you know your subject, there might have up. even been Einstein that said that, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. Like explain oh. it to a five-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So if we can find a way to, you know, start to talk the quadrants because the other trainer, you know, other trainers, the, the vast majority of people that are really going to buy into, you know, what we're doing are, are the, the dog owners. Right. I mean, that's who's going to vote and that's who's going to really hold people to standard. Right. If a client calls you and says, hey, you know, do you train to this standard or, you know, what 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 can I expect from my dog after I work with you? And I always say, well, you know, how, how much are you going to work? I mean, one of the things when we're working with other clients, when we're working with clients, I go, you know, well, well, my dog's 50 50. I'm like, OK, well, how consistent are you? You can't expect any more consistency from your dog than what you bring to the table. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's, it's pushing our clients. And then I think if we put a standard out, you're going to have pushback, right? Because, but if it's a personal thing that, Hey, this is what I train to, if you don't agree, that's fine, but here's the product I'm putting out. And it's a, you know, the dog looks good. The client's happy. The people are taking their dogs out. And then somebody goes, Oh my God, you know, that dog looks awesome. And then they drop your name. Um, I think that's that's where it grows. And you're always going to get trainers or other individuals in the industry that don't like what we're doing. And I, I think it's just it sucks. But yeah, it's so I don't know how to the, on that one, Vinny. As far as like um, you know, pushback from from the other camps, I don't have the answer to that one. I, I mean, I don't know. I know that if individually we all have a level that we individually train to and you know again my ridgeback right she's not the, she can walk on a leash sometimes depending on what's out there right <laughs> um but i know i could get her to that level if i had to right and and i'm okay with that because she's eight and i have five acres and i don't have to walk my dogs on a leash as much i have to take her to the vet um, and I can, you know, take her out, but she's not, not like my, my Malinois, I'm out with a lot more. Um, and she, you know, she does good with other dogs. I need to hit those levels with her. So, yeah. Do um, you feel, do you feel, um, last question, I'll try to keep it simple, but I'm trying to think of, do you feel that the forest free community as a whole, although there might be different skill levels of trainers, they might all kind of represent a team a little bit more. Whereas 
you know what I mean? Like if I had to just recommend a trainer to someone and I don't do this, but if I just had to, if I picked a force free trainer out of a hat, I kind of know what I'm getting. Yeah. Getting clickers I'm getting cookies I'm getting harnesses. I'm getting positive reinforcement. I'm getting clicks and, you know, you know, counter conditioning. If I send someone to just a random balance trainer, I could be sending them to a Pat Stewart or I could be sending them to some guy that's going to like helicopter swing them onto their head and like throw them into a brick wall. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, and I'm not in the balance community nearly as well as you are. So I don't know, is there an internal dialogue? Is there an internal struggle? Do people get held accountable more? I mean, I know, unfortunately, sometimes when I see it, it's like, they're on the news <laughs> and right. it's like something horrible. And I agree that like, you know, we could say, well, if you just feed your dog a thousand treats and they get fat and you know, that's, that's abuse in its own way, but there's something a little bit more drastic when you see, you know, a dog being kicked until it's yeah. like laying on the floor. So yeah. I don't know what you feel about that. Or maybe like, cause I feel like that is almost why I don't want to be, I don't want to join that. I wouldn't want to join the camp of, of balance. Um, yeah. which you know you said you don't even really like the term too but so what do you what do you feel about that and how do you think that could be remedied so the you know if somebody's helicoptering a dog and throwing it against the wall or kicking <laughs> it to where it's laying down that's yeah. abuse and they yeah. should be charged yeah you know, and, and convicted right um and you know we've seen that lately right yeah where people everybody has a, a camera everybody you know everybody has their mm -hmm. phone and i have clients that you know want to videotape and and most of the trainers i know are, are okay with that. Right. But yeah, going back to, so those, those extremes, yeah, that's, that's abuse and they need to be charged. And, you know, if they're in any organization, you know, and, and they're charged, they're being kicked out potentially, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, not being allowed back in. So, yeah, but going back to your original point, there's, you know, the, the force, I'm going to use force free, right. The, the term mm -hmm. force free, but, but if you look at that, community for the most part we know how everybody thinks in that community right you mm -hmm. know it's it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty straightforward um if you're going to use and again air quotes balance community there's a lot more variation as to approaches mm -hmm. um i personally see that as a good thing right again I do, I do yeah it's like a yeah. double-edged sword it, right. it is it is because then there's more variation in thought and then there's you know ingenuity and there's different minds thinking but then there's those sneaky little devils that creep in and then, <laughs> and then like you know we're you know we're dog trainers a client has no idea you know i have people reach out to me on instagram and like i don't know who to go to yeah They're, it's stressful to them so yeah it, i'm sorry no no you're you're fine um yeah so when you have those trainers that that you know are harsher right it's known and, and if somebody's asking me hey who do i you know who would you send somebody to i know you know who i would send them to right because i know who who trains like me um but at the same time i'm like hey interview them right mm -hmm. interview the trainers ask them the questions ask to see their other dogs right no don't just look at the reviews but ask to see their other dogs right ask to potentially sit in on a on a lesson Right. Um, asking all those questions and, you know, that variation of approach, right. The, the best analogy, the example I often use is like mindfulness, right. John Kabat-Zinn, when he started mindfulness, he brought mindfulness back in the day in like the late eighties, right. Everybody was like, he goes, I couldn't bring this in and go, here's this, you know, approach towards meditation. It comes from Buddhism, blah, blah, blah. 
in the eighties, everybody'd be like, what are you talking about? We're not going <laughs> to, this is, this is a, you know, he's a medical doctor. He's like, we're not going to take that. Right. You're out of your mind. But he kind of took it and, and, you know, brought it into the medical community. And 20 years later, now everybody's like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's solid. So when we're looking at, because I get frustrated sometime when, when, you know, I, I talk with other trainers and they start talking about like energy. Right. And I always go, okay, define energy, you know, because, you know, when they see energy, I'm seeing like negative reinforcement, <laughs> but, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, I can't close my mind completely yeah. because in 10 years, somebody could go, Oh, we've discovered energy and blah, blah, blah. And I'd have to go, Oh, well, you know, I spent how many years going, that's a bunch of crap. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like, Hey, how do we find that common ground? And, you know, you may say it's this, but I'm looking at it from this perspective. I do think, and I, I say this to the, to, you know, the balance community, you need to learn science, right? Because that's the common language we're all using. Mm -hmm. We can bring other stuff. And I think that's a big problem we face is, you know, kind of where dog training as a whole has gotten. It's almost like a pseudoscience, right? And we kind of go back to our individual little camps and, and kind of pull things, um, you know, with, with different discussion, we talk about like drive. Right. And I think, you know, one of the, um, I think one of the, the posts that was flying around a couple of weeks ago was somebody said, there's no such thing as prey drive. Mm, yes. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's tough because, you know, that individual was quoting from Pangsep and I don't, as far as I know, Pangsep doesn't refer to drives. Right. You know, it looks at the, um, you know, the, the seeking system and as far as systems. So if that individual believes in Pangsep as an approach and they go, well, there's no such thing as drive based on what they're reading, they're right in their mind. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and you know, then that kind of became, I think some people were saying, yeah, dogs are not predators. I think, you know, I saw a couple of different trainers saying that and it's like, now we're they got a lot just, of they got a lot of squirrel ghosts that are going to haunt them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's yeah. So it's I think you know if we sit down and, and define here's what we're talking about, here's all the things we can agree on. Now we've created that framework of how we can move forward. And if somebody comes in and goes, "Hey, I got this great idea. Let's helicopter a dog." into a down because that makes the dog work you know the vast majority have common sense and go what no mm -hmm. right and then it's gonna be no dude we don't do that right that's that's not that's not cool yeah and then that individual can stay as part of this group or they can go do their own thing and potentially face you know consequences so yeah i think that's where if we're it's happening because the pendulum is all over the place right yeah so, yeah, yeah like you know uh, i think mike ellis talks about it in one of the podcasts about how when he did, when he swung way to like the force free side. Mm -hmm. And then he had two dogs that he raised and they were like two years of age. And those dogs had never seen any kind of real correction or pressure or anything. Mm -hmm. And the first time he had to use a correction, right? Because they, you know, they were mouse and really intense and, and doing something really, you know, it's going to hurt themselves. The dogs fell apart, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's where, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities in that, I think in, in raising kids. Right. So like the, everybody gets a trophy kind of thing. Hmm. Right. It's, it's Don't make fun of my collection of two inch trophies. It's tough because, you know, now, you know, 
you almost have a, a fear of, of failing, right. Or a fear of making a mistake. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, and, and it's tough because, and I go back, I'm going to pick on the balance side, right. If I'm using to, if potentially, if I'm using corrections to teach everything really old school kind of stuff. Right. And I teach that dog to heal and that dog's healing and staying next to me because if it goes out of that little spot, it's going to face a correction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I put that dog in a, in a, in a stay and that dog moves and I go back and I correct that dog. And then I go Fido here. And that dog goes, no, dude, I'm afraid to make a mistake. Yeah. You know, now, so I think there's, you know, there's a potential there. And then on the flip side, I mean, Anthony talked about this. One of the things that if I get, um, like a, uh, somebody that's gone to like more of a plus R trainer, plus R trainers are really good at building drive and building intensity and building behavior. And, you know, um, I think it's, uh, um, God, who said it? Uh, Jerry Bradshaw um, said, you know, be careful the monster you create because you got to live with them. <laughs> so a lot of people we will take these young puppies and they're using a lot of reinforcement and they're really building all this. And then all of a sudden they have this, one and a half, two-year-old just monster that's now 80 pounds and is like, oh, I'm ready to take on anything. And that trainer- Guilty. Made... That was exactly <laughs> what I do in my Labrador. It was a lot of shaping and marking and clicker training and bomb, 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 fast. And the dog didn't know how I got up to take a pee in the middle of the night and he would be like healing by my side. Like, what are we doing? Right, you know? yeah. So... <laughs> but now, so, so, yeah. so, so Vinny, you have the ability to affect that, right? You can say, okay, well, I'm going to go back. I'm going to fix that. But that mm -hmm. average client yeah, no, has exactly. two kids and a full-time yeah. job. And, you know, they call up the trainer and go, well, how do I stop this? Well, you know, manage, reinforce behavior, do this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They're like, I need something more. And then, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's tough because it's finding that middle ground. I almost said finding that balance, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you say it. Don't say It's finding that middle ground where you can motivate a dog to create behavior, but you can also, you know, do the things you need to do to, to stop certain behaviors, right? Um, and doing it in a way that, you know, I forget what the trainer said this, but, you know, one of the most important, one of the most, I hate the term loving, but it, I think the quote was one of the most loving things you can do is a well-timed correction, right? Because you can stop that specific behavior. And again, it's that single learning event. The dog goes, okay, right. I shouldn't do that again. And we see that as parents, right? If you're walking with your child down the street and they're walking next to you and they take off into the middle of the street, you're not going to, I mean, you're going to reach out and stop. You're going to yell, no, reach out and grab something and maybe their arm, their shirt or something. I mean, it's potentially going to hurt them briefly. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to scare the crap out of them, but it has to be that learning event that makes them think twice about running out in the street again. Now you don't teach them to walk next to you by slinging on their arm, of course. Right. But it's, you have to have that ability. And I think if we take away the stigma of using it humanely and appropriately, then it's, 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 you know, it becomes easier. Right. I think, uh, um, uh, Brad Pfeiffer said on one of the podcasts years ago, there are four quadrants, right. And, and, you know, there are four quadrants. So we can't live life not being in that, you know, avoiding that one quadrant. We just have to be selective on how we use it.
Yeah, and I think, you know, just to tie it all together, one of the most important things that you brought up is, is talking, having these discussions, not just going into our little rooms and coming up with our own jargon to fucking talk about it. Am I saying that word right, Anthony? Jargon, jargon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> jargon. Yeah, jargon. That's my right. favorite yeah, word, but I don't yeah. know how to say. So I'm just going to keep jargon. jargon-y. Oh, so we're going to go in and then we're going to talk, you know, in our circles. And then, you know, we're going to demonize the other side. And I don't think, I don't think it's productive at all. Yeah. And it's that trust. More talking is good. That trust. I mean, you know, we talked about before, um, me and Anthony talked about it. I'm getting on my podcast podcast up. I'd love to have you guys on. Right. And it's that having that trust that, you know, we're going to talk and I mean, you're not going to edit my words for me to go. I love helicoptering dogs. Right. Well, that's a great idea. He actually said he agreed. All the trainers he knows agree right. with it. I think he said, right. right yeah. and that's- Let me ask a question. Will you ask questions like Vinny? Because I don't know if I'll be able to keep up. That- hey, I'm just keeping the ball rolling here. We're keeping the ball rolling here. No, but yeah, yeah, that's that's entirely right. Like, and we don't have to agree on everything for me to still value you as a human being and learn something from you. Like that, that's the way that I see it. You know, hundred percent. I hope hope we don't agree on everything. Yeah, yeah. that would just be boring as hell. It'd be weird. Yeah, if we just sat here and like, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like over, you know. Like, (laughs) and I like pushing back on you, not even because I want to push on you, but I just want to hear what you're like the way you answer things, you know? Because some of these questions are in my own head. I don't, I don't keep my thoughts solid. I think that's why even when I'm talking, it's very fluid. I'm questioning my own thoughts, maybe sometimes too much, right? <laughs> but but I feel like I want to continue to grow. I When someone disagrees with me or someone says something that I disagree with, I don't want to just get mad and be like, oh, that's stupid. I want to be like, why does that anger me? Why, why is that? Why is that upsetting me? Or maybe I need to rethink something that I'm thinking, because I think it is hard. You know, especially maybe I'm talking for myself, but as you get older to like start reframing the way you think about stuff, you know, and and I want to try as best as I can to, you know, stay flexible. Yeah, I I joke around like, um, you know, everybody talks about calling their kids to help them with technology, right? (laughs) My whole goal is to be like the technology whiz. So my kids like ask me what I'm like. You want to be like the cool, the cool grandpa on the scooter. Yeah, here's what you do, right? (laughs) But yeah, Um, no, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, Having those discussions and and not, you know, being open to change things, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, me, you know, from my perspective, using, just overusing, you know, um, can uh, just practice, right? Making it a habit for that dog, right? Because, you know, what we know is habits are hard to break, right? And they're aversive if you don't do them, right? So when we start looking at it from that perspective and we see those dogs doing things out of habit, good things, and, you know, being faced with a distraction and then going back to the original behavior simply because it's a habit, right? Because you spend a lot more time, you know, working that, that dog into, doing something to get reinforcement, that's, you know, I think we're all having the ability to question everything you do and make it to the point where you're not doing it to get paralysis by analysis, right? Mm-hmm. Cause I think we all face that. I know I face that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, when going through things like, okay, well, do I, do I need to redo this? Do I need to redo it again? Um, mm-hmm. But having the ability just to, to question the things you do and, and being able to, to defend it too. For sure. Yeah, and I, I think- agree. I think well, like Vinny brings up a good point, like 
you know, being able to, yeah, of course, to have those open conversations with other professionals, but also even to ask those questions to yourself. Yeah. Because I think that's something that we all do it. I don't think everyone likes to admit it. Like today, I, I left a client that after I left, I started thinking to myself, I was like, hmm, like what would what would it be like if there was some form of punishment for this particular case? Would it maybe address something better than how I left with that client? Yeah. You know, yeah. and and I think that like I can only imagine like what <laughs> that comment right there that I just said is going to to bring, but but like <laughs> I, I think that those are <laughs> Vinny's laughing, but I think that those are honest questions and conversations. And, and I think that it's okay to ask those things to yourself or with, or with other colleagues. And, and I think that being able to have these open conversations are so much more important than just running back to where you fall or, you know, what you believe, like, it's okay to like, maybe bring those conversations up also to, to those individuals, but being able to have this conversation be more open-minded or just to listen. It doesn't mean you need to change what you believe or your ethics or anything like that, but just to hear out what someone has to say can be a world of difference for, yeah. for you, your, your client, their dog. So and having, having the answer that we all hate, right? It depends. Yeah. Right. Depends, right. Oh, and, here we go. Now we're starting a whole. Not no, I'm just kidding. But yes, but there's so many variances, right? And and everybody has different things they bring to the table. And as you continue to build that, you know, experience and with different dogs and different things and different, you know, activities with your dog. Now you're like, okay, you just have that bigger, you know, bigger just breadth of experience to call upon. Right. I mean, I go back to my, before I, I did this full time, right. We did an agility course or did agility class and it was awesome with my older dog. Right. And, you know, one of the big things was, you know, understanding me that the trainer and now I look back on it, I wish I would have listened more. Right. <laughs> um, but just seeing those dogs, like they're in, you know, they're in such a state of drive, but that drive is being managed by, you know, the person running with them and, and, you know, there's that, it, it's that communication back and forth. And at any point in time, they can stop that, right? That trainer can literally stop everything right then and there. That's pretty awesome. That's, that's a good intense level of control. And if there's not a carryover from that into pet dog training, I don't know what, the, I don't know. I mean, there is hundred percent same with, you know, bite sports, right? Um, same with, you know, hurting, right? And we talked about tray ball the other day and kind of the nuances on that and just, yeah, it's, uh, it sucks because there's not enough years in a lifetime to learn all the stuff you want to learn about this. And you know, it's so true though. One of the things I've realized about myself recently is because there's so many things I want to learn. And there's not enough time in the day. It really gets me really anxious. Like it gets me really <laughs> agitated. No, it's uh, no. true. Like it's true though. <laughs> like I, I, because there, there isn't there, like, there's so many things that you want to learn and you want to do. And it's like, you, there's just not enough time. 
Yeah. Yeah. So now would that be negative reinforcement, right? That, that frustration and the ability to go learn, right? Oh man. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's. Well, John, this was awesome. Thank you was. very much for, for coming here and joining us today. This was such an awesome conversation. Awesome meeting you. Great guy. Yeah. Thank you for your yeah. time. No I told you guys, you guys, he wasn't a bad guy, right? Not too bad, not too bad. Um, so I mean, I before, didn't really take your word for it, but yeah. here we go. Here we freaking go. Listen, before we before you wrap this thing up, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? If you want to bring up your um, your dog pro program yep. as well, feel free, and and your social media handles, all that stuff. Yep. So I um, appreciate it. I'm at Top Dog Training in Kentucky, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. You can catch me there for pet dog training um, and training. Also the pro dog trainer mindset. It's kind of like a new coaching program I'm doing. Um, it's probably starting up next year, but uh, yeah. Yeah. ProDogTrainerMindset.com or TopDogTrainingKY.com. And then all the typical handles off of that. They all have the links. So, cause you can't keep up with them. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, John. We appreciate, appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Canine Classroom. If you like the show, make sure to smack that like button, share the show with your friends, and give us a rating. Until next time, class dismissed. Bye.